How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. to see everyone we've been we've been doing all these pre-records before folks and now we're back live on the air it is such a treat to see everyone here mark how you doing doing well dr joe how you doing buddy i'm good to doing, see you it's good to see you too and you know it's you know the new year 2023 i hope this is really a year of healing that's really what i think we need more than anything last year was such an interesting time 2022 you know still in the midst of covid and yet still all these continued difficulties going on with the division in our world this this intense one in group versus another out group and a whole bunch of cortisol going on throughout the entire world we could talk about the cortisol response later but we have people here tonight who I am so looking forward to talking with them and hearing their insights, sharing their stories. One is a return guest. Another is somebody that I saw at a remarkable conference at Boston Children's Hospital. But Tom, could you please introduce our guest for tonight? Absolutely, Dr. Joe. So returning to the Dr. Joe show, we have Dr. Angela Crushfield. For those who may not remember, I can't imagine. Angela Crushfield is owner of Peace Unlimited LLC, an executive leadership coaching, lifestyle coaching, and transformational HR consulting practice. She served as vice chancellor for talent chief diversity officer for the University of Mass Dartmouth and currently serves as consultative diversity and inclusion director for Riverside Community Care in Boston. Yes. And joining her, we have Dr. Kevin M. Simon, inaugural chief behavioral health officer for the city of Boston. He is a Harvard-trained board-certified psychiatrist serves as attending psychiatrist at Boston Children's Hospital, an instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and a Commonwealth Fund Fellow in Health Policy at Harvard University, as well as the Medical Director of Wayside Youth and Family Support Network. Clinically, he practices as a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist and addiction medicine specialist caring for youth, young adults, and families throughout the Adolescent Substance Use and Addiction Program at Boston Children's Hospital. As a researcher, Dr. Simon has received federal funding for work focused on the intersections of mental health, substance use, and justice involvement. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad. Let me let me um, first welcome you back, Dr. Angela. It's always a pleasure to have you here. What's been going on with you over the last year? Oh, goodness. Uh, you know, lots of things. I do want to make one, two small corrections for, for that intro. Uh, the, my business is Crutchfield Group LLC. A little bit different. Uh, and also, I think you had a slight correction on that title. It's Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion for Riverside. So, yes, she is Vice no, President. No worries. And, and <laughs> things, have, things have been good. Things have been busy. Things have been concerning. Things have been in need of the work that we do in this space of diversity and inclusion. And I think um, we have we have a lot 
of work to do in this space and, and helping people to be more thoughtful and more open to um, addressing their own individual concerns that would ultimately impact other people. If people aren't thinking about what I can do differently, then the mindset isn't in the right space. So a lot of those types of things going on, Dr. Joe, just trying to stay busy in that space to, to do what I can to make the world a better place. Yeah. And we have, we have to do this together. This isn't something we, we do alone have to be in this together. So I appreciate that. And Dr. Simon, it's, it's, it's wonderful having you here. Like I said, when I first met you and the only time I met you was at that incredible conference at uh, Boston Children's Hospital that you were given. Um, tell me what's, what's going on with you. Can you tell people a little bit about yourself and what the talk was that you gave to us that day? Yeah, so uh, one, thanks, Tom, um, for reading the bio. Um, but uh, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Um, parents still live there. My parents there from Haiti. I've been in Boston now since 2018 we moved here. Um, my wife and I coming from Atlanta. Um, but the, the talk that I was giving at the Children's Behavioral Health uh, Summit was in reference to health equity and behavioral health and, and um, the intersection and kind of looking at it from a developmental perspective. So, you know, kind of talking about little kiddos, you know, four or five-year-olds all the way up into uh, what I like to call emerging adults um, in so much as um, although you turn 18, um, you're legally an adult, many times you're still, um, emerging because you're still dependent on mom and dad um but yeah the, the the talk was you know the conference itself was about the changing landscape of uh behavioral health care and legislation that's passed work um that organization angela um uh, dr crutchfield is associated with is doing and like literally today is the fifth on the third in our state um several what we'd call like community behavioral health centers um you know went quote unquote live um so just thinking about you know if we have new programming what that's supposed to look like if we're really suggesting that we're trying to make a difference um so that that's what some of the that's what the premise of the talk and just full disclosure, so as the Chief Medical Officer of Riverside Community Care, we actually have been granted two of those CBHCs, Community Behavioral Health, one in Milford and one in Norwood. And so for those listeners who are in Massachusetts, if you are a Mass Health uh, recipient, you have access to arguably a new and yet old way of doing things because it's returning back to the community. We're trying to avoid people getting into hospitals. We're trying to avoid the long lines in emergency rooms, which are, which are so detrimental. But there's still that disparity, and that's part of what I want to really talk about. That the, the part that is still baffling to me, and I know it shouldn't be, but help me, we're still seeing these disparities in access to care, in the result of not having access, in 
and how folks are viewing themselves because other people can be mean and cruel. Right. So how do we, do you want to, Dr. Sam, can, can you just maybe talk about a bit about, you know, there was a, a paper that, that you were co-author on in, back in 2022, pediatrics, disparities in pediatric mental and behavioral health conditions. And some yeah. of the data was mind-blowing. Can yeah, you just so, talk a little bit about that first? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, no matter the kind of category we look at, whether it's access to care, um, or even when people get into care, who com quote, unquote, completes care, um, the type of care people get when they're in, quote, unquote, care, um, when we start to, um, what we'd say is control for other, you know, multiple factors, um, seemingly if there's a, a melanin or brown hue to a patient or a family, um, they're getting, unfortunately, uh, the worst of outcomes. So um, in terms of access, pre-pandemic, in the pandemic, post-pandemic, um, in terms of who gets in to see the provider, um, if you're Black, Brown, Latino, um, harder chance. And, you know, that's both historical for a variety of reasons. Um, there's appropriate historical mistrust of, you know, um, medicine in, in, in certain cultures. Um, and so even as a provider of color, I recognize that I am also representative of that entity, right? So even when I engage with families, um, if, if it's African-Caribbean or Afro-Diaspora, um, I have to engage in a certain way um, that might be different. And again, everyone is different, so you, you should be using like your cultural humility and nuance. Um, but yeah, access, you know, you have mass health. Um, certain providers may not take mass health. And then the places that do, because of um, differences in, in uh, funding allocation, right? You have some clinics that need to see, in traditional outpatient setting, you need to see 25 patients, you know, per day, uh, which is in our particular field, rather difficult, you know, it's just, it's different than uh, a surgeon who's um, coming in and looking at MRIs and say, oh, yep, we're going to, you know, do this for the, the ACL. Um, that might be a very targeted conversation. Um, but, you know, the, the, the notion of a 20-minute, 25-minute um, psychiatric visit or behavioral health visit um, is, is, Kind of mind blowing, I, and that's why I like where I'm, when I'm at Children's, the clinic that we're that, that we have is an open access. Um, given the uh, conditions, uh, and each each session is an hour. Um, nice. I mean, we have sometimes fifteen minutes to do a med visit, which is nuts. But but I, I want to just ask you, Doctor Angela, given given what you're doing now with Riverside, and I, I'd like to think there's a commitment to diversity and inclusion. What do you think? Are, are we making some positive changes? We have these new community behavioral health centers. Um, what do you think? I, I, I think we are, but I want to I take a step back just to go a little bit of uh, kind of backtrack on, on uh, what we just heard. We, we, we 
we jump to this place of, hey, we want to make sure we have this in place, do this. Those things are great, but no one wants to have the conversations that have put us in this position where there are disparities. So mm -hmm. those barriers have been there and there are a number of them, especially when I think about the black community in America, as well as other populations of people of color uh, in particular, when we think about it, do they have even the um, understanding, the education, the um, openness to even receive those type of services? We've got to deal with that because of the, the, the trauma that people have experienced in this country for so long, there's a lack of trust, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's also a lack of Black therapists. I mean, I think it's so important that we have, Dr. Simon, it's important that we have therapists that look like the people who need the services because that cultural stigma within the community impacts how people even approach trying to get the needed services. So even if we work hard and we, uh, you know, we, we, we um, duplicate, you know, Dr. Simon over and over and over again, that, that's wonderful, but are people still going to be a little bit leery based on the historical experiences that we must actually be open to talking about because we have experienced so much that has negatively impact people. I mean, I think about, for, for example, growing up in the South, you know, you didn't hear people talk about people who look like me having mental health challenges. That wasn't even a conversation, hmm. right? Now that is a, a common conversation. In the past, it would be, oh, you know, <laughs> that person's just a little special, you know, no, that's just Uncle Joe. We know how Uncle Joe can be, right? We just, we would hear that and it would just be that person is pushed to the side. As a child, was it addressed as it should have been? No. So having Dr. Simon doing the things that, that he's doing right now is vital because those uh, young people during my growing up years, my, my youth, um, became adults and nobody helped them. So then as adults, what do we see? The things that are going on today. But again, having those conversations and really trying to address the concerns that put us where we are. Having people like Dr. Simon today is awesome, but are we talking about and dealing with what we have had to deal with so that we don't repeat these issues? We've got to change the culture. We've got to change the approach to how we help people. I, as I, I don't know if you mentioned, you, you heard me mention about growing up in the South and people yep, not yep. being careful. You know, if they weren't getting that treatment, then right. that, that passes on from generation to generation. Right. So people right. across the generation still are leery or still have that stigma, that cultural stigmatism related to, hey, Black people have mental health problems? No, we don't. No, no, no. It's, it's just, it's like yeah. a taboo topic. So- those are just some additional thoughts to think about. So, I mean, the, the infrastructure, the, the disparities in, in housing, the disparities in just education, all of those things contribute to the disparities in mental health. It, it all, it's all connected. It's about us really putting forth effort to come up with a comprehensive approach that is a deeper dive to address the systemic or systematic issues that are, that are in existence. I think that's where the heavy lift it, it needs needs to take place. Dr. Simon, are you, are you experiencing that at, at Children's? Um, so, so it was, it was very interesting in terms of um, both uh, Tom and Dr. Crutchfield's um, point in reference to the historical nature, right? So, um, in one way, we're in a good space in the Commonwealth in that 
Um, there's been, you know, legislation passed and funding uh, is available. Um, yet at the same time, um, with the arrival of, you know, programs, um, there's different, there'll be challenges in so much as, well, the workforce doesn't just like, there, there aren't, you know, clinical social workers just hiding behind bushes. Right, right. <laughs> and they're ready to work 24 seven um, as, as some of these things are supposed to be. Um, so, so there is investment in, you know, the pipeline and, and getting it up. But, you know, if that, if that investment actually was a decade before or two decades before, uh, we may not be in the situation that, that we're actively in. Um, and and um, again, in terms of the who seeks the care, um, it, it becomes particularly challenging. Uh, I, I know I've seen this. I hear about a family and they're like, oh, you know, they keep birdieing. And it's like, okay, uh, I can, I might be able to find a provider who's brown. <laughs> yeah. But now you need, but now we need Cape Verdean language and say, okay, this, okay. So we recognize how diverse we all are. And earlier, uh, uh, Dr. Joe, you mentioned, you know, why is it still happening? And, you know, when I'm teaching, I, I have to remind students, I'm like, we're all people. Who happen to end up in certain in certain professions, um, but who you were long before you put on the coat um, or were in a clinic, um, you were bred and raised um, to to have certain types of values. And so, mm-hmm. when I'm in the ED and I see a patient who um, is is black or brown, you know, it's not uncommon for them to be adultified. Um, it's like, no, he's not 18, he's actually 16. Um, mm-hmm. It's not uncommon to get a referral and this description is behavioral dysregulation, um, but is it really behavioral dysregulation or is it like unmanaged ADHD? Um, and so sometimes it, it's in terms of taking a step back. Um, it's something that, that we have to do um, often and particularly in our field where a lot of description, right, is is utilized to inform how we operate in terms of levels of care, um, types of treatment. Um, I, I have a, a clinical anecdote. I was on call. Um, a, a nurse practitioner called me to ED, and I happened to be in the hospital. I went to ED, and then a neurodiverse youth. Um, with a helmet on and suggested that, you know, he's really hitting himself, hitting people. And I went in the room um, and Afro-Latina mom didn't speak English. And, you know, I just put my hands on on where he was hitting and he moved my hand out the way. I was like, okay, so he's not like actually trying to hit me. Um, And I was like, okay, he wants something, but he's not verbal. So we, we did that thing like okay water chips you know let's just let's just bring stuff and and eventually he devoured some food and it's like, okay he was hungry um, but but that same behavior the the day before actually resulted in uh, in a you know inappropriate medication management so um, yeah we, 
being able to slow down to speed up um, is, is very common in, in mental health. It's like, actually, if you just slow down, um, it might, the picture might become clearer, you know, for us all. Um, I could not agree more. I mean, we're talking the same language in this, all of us, because I, I an anecdote I had was, was once uh, I was on call in an inpatient psych hospital and there was a code blue, right? Which means somebody's going to get restrained. You need to run to the unit. I run to the unit and there's this guy who is, he's going to attack people. He's so angry. And um, I, I just said to him, so, hold on what's going on here he says you're just going to restrain me you're just going to give me an injection to restrain me and i said to him are you a lumper i said what do you mean i said well you don't know me from anything you've just lumped me in probably with all the other people that you've ever met in psychiatry but i'm just really interested in what's going on what what are you so angry about and he was like what and we got to talk about it you know, rather than just assume something, but the way we're, we're perceiving people and how we are so dismissive of so many people. Dr. Crutchfield, can, can you tell us a little bit more about your growing up experiences and, and what you saw and how it has influenced the work that you're doing today? Yeah, I, I can, but can I share one quick thing though, based of on- Of course, absolutely. <laughs> I think- you know, I am not a clinician. Uh, however, <laughs> I am a I am a doctor of the workplace, the, a doctor of people. I understand all of those different components. And one thing that I think we have to remember, even in the service that's being provided to to uh, people who are in need of service, we've got to think about advocacy, making sure that they have that opportunity to advocate on behalf of themselves. And I think that connects to a theory that I use quite often in training leaders: understanding the platinum rule. And that is treat people the way they want to be treated. Golden rule is great. Treat people the way I would want to be treated. That sounds good. That's great. But if I take me out of the equation and give that space, that safe space for people to ask for that ketchup, right? <laughs> and you got paid a lot of money to give somebody some ketchup. And, that, and that's, that's an okay thing. But when you really think about it, the simplicity of that should have happened at a much earlier point in any interaction and conversation that took place. We have to remember that we are dealing with human beings, even in those clinical settings. And I think that the examples that you shared, Dr. Simon, speak volumes to your thought process of saying, hey, wait, 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 let's just peel this back. <laughs> let's just peel this back and be more thoughtful. So, you know, for me as a person growing up in the South, uh, based on your question, Dr. Joe, um, it, it gave me amazing insight into the experiences of being a black person in America. And I'm not trying to represent every single black person because I can't, I cannot represent every minority group, but I can represent myself and I can represent those who I know fit the mold of my experiences. And I think we have to, as I said in the beginning, we've got to look deeper. So there's a deeper, I would call it a deeper route to to what we see in modern day disparities. And this, this isn't new. We're not in a new place of disparities. We're just in a new place of where it's showing up. So the history, as I said, of our country, it's a, it's a, it's a, a bedrock of racial and, and, and ethnic disparities that have manifested to many ways, including behavioral health disparities, right? So the root has grown 
And the trunk of that tree has these extensions now and they extend into healthcare, they extend into the workplace, they extend into housing, they extend into public services, the infrastructures in our cities, education, all of those things have been impacted. And that is where the, again, the work has to be done so that when we have that touch point with that, that patient, that client, that touch point is going to be received in the right way because people will know that the work has been done to address the system and they are comfortable with receiving the care. And one last thing, we've got to do more in that space of equipping um, younger people who look like myself, who look like Dr. Simon, who look like those of us who fit these marginalized groups so that they can be trained and tooled up to do the needed work so that people feel comfortable walking through the door of a healthcare provider's office and seeing someone who looks like them and they feel like, okay, this person is gonna get it. They're gonna understand. I'll give you one last quick example. Um, my son, and I don't know if I used this example once before, I've used this, I talk so much, I don't know. But, um, you know, my son uh, and, and Dr. Joe, you know my son, I uh, have gotten to know my son well. Uh, my son uh, at a younger age needed to see a dermatologist for something. And I was searching, trying to find a dermatologist and I refused to take my son to a Caucasian dermato dermatologist. And I don't, that's not ugly, that's not nasty. I just know the skin of my son is going to be different than what this person probably would and could acknowledge and treat effectively. Um, so I, I was able to find a, a black dermatologist and it really, honestly, it, it, it made my day. The day I was able to find this person, I had to search. I mean, I had to dig deep to find her. And it was the best thing ever because someone else who gave me some advice, who was a medical professional, gave me some incorrect information as it related to what was going on with my son and had seen my son, knew all of the things that I mentioned and going to this provider, I was able to get exactly what he needed. And that to me is an example of why we've got to do more in this space of educating and helping people understand that there are opportunities in the behavioral health space or services, roles, opportunities to be able to be a value add to the effort to end the disparities. Yeah, and you know, I, as you were talking about the root, um, and, and this sometimes I have to challenge uh, funders. Um, when we think about at least youth behavioral health mm. and quote unquote resolving the problem or improving it, um, you know, there are a lot of spaces, uh, therapeutic landscapes that people can be in um, that are therapeutic that are not clinic and oftentimes the evidence shows that people would prefer to engage in other normative activities like dance art um yet it's interesting when you at least the conversation i may have where i'm suggesting yes maybe we need to you know alert the dance studio or alert the um you know art museum um that this funding could be utilized in a way that promotes positive behavioral health. Um, and sometimes it's it's somehow frowned upon, but it's like the answer can't come from the clinic. Um, people live outside and experience things outside, right? Live, work, and play social determinants of health. Uh, yet there there is, and again, I'm a physician, um, rightfully. So it it, but there is an emphasis on what happens in our space. 
rather than what's happening outside of our space, which is where people actually are more often. Again, when we think about youth, particularly, it's like if I could get somebody into a soccer club or or just some extracurricular activity, that's going to be probably more beneficial on a day-to-day activity than uh, once a week, once a month. Um, and and but you know the way our our system is, we tend not to emphasize the preventative aspects. But then we ask the question of why are the things the way they are. At at some point, we can continue to talk about how we can merge the arts and what we're doing in terms of our therapies. But the the image that comes to mind for me was inpatient psychiatry again. Um, what I would tell patients is if, if you break your leg, you go to the emergency room, they take an x-ray, they figure out what the break is, they put a cast around your leg, maybe they keep you overnight, but they send you home with a broken leg and a cast. And the healing is gonna be happening at home in your community. That's what inpatient psychiatry is. We figure out very quickly what's going on. We put as many supports around the person as possible, but that person is going to go back to their community where the healing happens. And the more we can support a community effort, so, so, so the community is also aware of, of the stigma that goes along with mental health and substance use. And, and I'm just curious, how much is that stigma just another manifestation of what we do to each other all the time. Dr. Crutchfield, you. Yeah, I, I think that stigma is huge. And I think within certain communities, that culture, the cultural stigma that surrounds mental health care is what puts those um, limits on people seeking the support that they need. And we've got to find ways to help people overcome the stigma of mental illness and uh, challenges in that space, whatever the challenge may be. Because we've got to get to a place where people view uh, mental health just like any other aspect of health. We have our physical health. We have our, our, our um, uh, we go to the dentist. Uh, we go to the optometrist. We do all of these things. And it's just, it's okay if I can't, it's okay if I take my glasses off and I can't read what's in, if I have anything on my screen, I can't read it. That's okay. You need to go to the, you need to go to the optometrist. You need to go to the eye doctor and get you some glasses. Nobody has a problem with that. But when people's vision of their internal selves and the challenges that they may face, when those things come up, nobody wants to have a conversation about it. It's a, no, no, we're not going to deal with that. We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to get the help that might be needed. So it's really important that we can find that, that space. I mean, there are many, you know, opportunities for learning and education in this, in this area, because again, there's, there's such, I think there's such a lack of awareness in our, in our community, specifically our communities of color, that, that cultural stigma continues to grow because that's what people hear. It becomes more, this is what I hear and what I experience in my community versus understanding and knowing that it's okay to find yourself having mental ch- uh, mental health challenges, and that overcoming that stigma is what we want to make sure we're working uh, working towards. Because there are false beliefs. There's so many false beliefs, and and people who have the lack of clarity 
it's, I think, on those of us who are trying to do any work in this space of better understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, all of these things that we're trying to do, we've got to, we've, we've, we've got to do more and we've got to engage others to help with that education and removing that cultural stigma for, for Black people and other marginalized groups regarding uh, mental health care. Mark, what do you think about this? You've been listening. What are your thoughts on this? Well, we've had a lot of shows about stigma and mental health. And I think the more we talk about it, the more people will talk about it, the more we can lift that stigma for all communities across the board, because mental health has been hush-hush for way too long. And I think, you know, we talk about COVID positives, right? Every once in a while, what's, what you know, what came out of COVID that was actually positive? And I think people talking about mental health is a super positive because the more people talk, the more people feel comfortable talking and sharing. And all of a sudden we start to let this stigma flow away and realize, wow, this is kind of normal. This is actually really normal. But I love the conversation that Angela and, and Dr. Simon are bringing to that that comfort level, right? Because again, we have the stigma, but that stigma is real. Mm-hmm. Who do I talk to? Who am I comfortable talking to? Who am I comfortable talking with about right. this? And you know, Angela, you brought up a, a great uh, analogy with the with the dermatologist, but I would imagine with mental health even more so. You know, you're not going to understand me because you're not necessarily from my community. I need someone who's from my community who can understand what I'm, what I'm coming, where I'm coming from. And I guess to, to Dr. Simon, like, how do, how did you find your way into this profession and how can we make certain that there's more folks in this profession helping your community? Yeah. And, you know, um, so in terms of the, the, how, um, I guess I can give an ode to my dad here. Um, so day to day, he was a public school teacher uh, in New York. And then after like 25 years, he, he became or went back to school for social work. But along the way, um, he was a deacon, um, or he, I guess he still is a deacon. Um, <laughs> and, and just how... Um, Catholicism in Haiti is, is more like a liberation theology um, kind of, of lens, which is to say that uh, you are working towards and for the most disadvantaged. Um, and and uh, his demeanor, uh, stoicism, is something that, like, just seeing it from a very early state probably taught me more than um, residencies or fellowship in terms of how you actually, like, be with somebody. Um, because training is like, how do you talk at somebody sometimes? Mm-hmm. But um, for him, it, it was it was about like accompaniment is, is the, the theory in terms of I'm with you in this journey, right? And so sometimes um, in terms of the stigma, I uh, want to type a couple things together. So in terms of substance use and youth, the one substance use itself is stigmatized having it in youth is stigmatized. And something that we often see is the stigma existing from like the guardian or the parent 
in, in, in an intentional way, right? Where they're part of the program and the parent wants like complete abstinence to be like the goal and the home run. And the kid could be back in school, um, passing classes, engage in treatment, meaning like not, not saying, hey, F, Dr. Simon, still coming. And I have had many a parent like, why isn't this working? And I'm like, well, what do you, what, what do you mean why it's not working? But it's their own frustration at what they're mentalizing as what treatment and success looks like. Um, and something has to take a step back to wait a minute. When we met, there were a laundry list of things that, you know, he, she, they were engaged in. Um, and they made a commitment to not do quote unquote pills. And they've kept to that. They said, hey, I'll, I'll come. And they've done that. Um, so sometimes you see even the stigma get internalized um, because of what the family wants to represent themselves as out in the community, right? Um, and, and so oftentimes we actually um, will struggle at times, you know, there might be a news report about something we're doing and it's like, oh, can, can you get a family? And it'd be a family that has done well. They're like, ah, well, you know, uh, we don't want to put ourselves out there like that. Even though they're doing well as a as a complete unit, the stigma's still there. Yeah, that, that that's an, that societal pressure and what yeah. people have set as a standard and a comparison of what is considered quote unquote normal right. versus people looking at where they are in their own journeys and knowing that that journey is a good thing. That's kind of what I'm hearing and what you're saying. I think yeah. that's a part of huge part of the problem too. Yeah, you know um, when people or systems acts, you know, what what would it look like? How do you know a plan or a program is working um, in the behavioral health space? Um, one of the, yes, there are like individual clinical measures, but mm -hmm. I think in terms of the disparities that we've been talking about, um, the measure that like is most important is engagement, which is to say, if the person showed up, that is better than them not showing up. Right. And oftentimes for a lot of communities, um, but in particularly those that are under uh, underserved, it, it's, it's the not showing up, right? So if the person is not showing up and they should be getting Suboxone, well, that's not good that they're not showing up. Mm -hmm. If they're not showing up and they're kind of near um, the eighth session of CBT, well, that's not good. Um, so you know, in terms of the, the measure that, that we really want to see um, as, as programs evolve is when you get someone plugged in, right, what are we doing to keep them plugged in? Because them being engaged is better than them not being engaged. Right. Um, so that's just the point I wanted to make in terms of like how we think about it on a large scale, um, what, what success looks like. Yeah, for, for me, because I also work with substance use folks, it's it's quality of life. It's it's not necessarily even sobriety or abstinence. It's what's your quality of life like? And so, you know, it's, to your point, Dr. Simon, it, it, they're going to school, they're they're engaged with your family, they're doing things. And okay, I, I'm not 
advocating that they're smoking weed, but on the other hand, you know, it's and it's and it's not just harm reduction either. It's saying what what's your quality of life like? And for a kid to be able to reflect on the difference in their quality of life based on where they were before they started and where they are now, it's it's huge for them to be able to reflect because you know the the, the kid's brain is not always able to think about the future in the same way that a grown-up's brain is. So it's it's little bits. It's good. You know, we're 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 talking about so much. We I'd love to have you guys back to continue this, but we have a few minutes left tonight. So I want to I just want to get into the the I am approach just for a moment. So the I am is basically saying we're all doing the best we can. There is no pathology. No one's broken, but we're influenced in responding to four domains our home domain, the social domain, which is everything other than the home, the biological domain, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me. Because these four domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. A small change can have an effect through all the other domains. So Dr. Angela, let me start with you. What small change can you recommend to our listeners based on what we're talking about tonight? Well, I, I think we have three three categories that we have to think about. You know, I, I, I'll start with saying real quickly, when we think about the current state data, especially within the black community, the data showing that deaths of blacks people by, black people by suicide has steadily and significantly increased over the past 20 years, as well as other minority, minority groups. So intervention at an early age could be a contributor to decreasing that number as well as some of the other outcomes that we're seeing in this in this area of, of mental health. So I think intervention at an early age as it relates to families and parents being thoughtful about that, um, thinking about tapping into resources to end the stigma that's associated with mental health. Um, I think the lack of adequate care and services is a major contributor. So I think um, legislation and things of that nature to move forward with driving sustainable systematic culture change is vital. Um, we all have work to do in these spaces that fit this conversation around diversity and inclusion. So I think those are some of the key things that would need to be done because everybody has a part to play. So just, just chipping away at it at one little moment at a time is what we want to think about. Dr. Simon, small changes. What can you recommend yeah. to our listeners? Um, so small change for listeners, um, you know, actually take time for yourself. Um, it, it can be very easy in this society to kind of go, 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 uh, get home, we sleep, wake up, go, 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 go. Um, and um, even a small bit of uh, one minute, two minute mindfulness where actually, you know, your phone's off, you're not on social media, uh, TV's off. Um, and really trying to like center yourself um, is something that that we all can do um, and, and that doesn't take too much time um, a thing that are I'm just broadly saying the system um, the system can do is make how we engage um, more pleasant in so much as a lot of the times the introduction to mental health is very frantic uh, chaotic um, and not pleasant not pleasant at all 
Um, and if we can, um, I think uh, Dr. Crutchfield, was, you were mentioning like hospitality, um, really recognize that we're in the service field. Um, and, and if we actually treat people how they wanna be treated and, and are hospitable, uh, that that actually can also go uh, a rather long way. That'd be a great small change. We have about a minute left. You control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you wanna be. Dr. Crutchfield, I'll start with you and then end with you, Dr. Simon. Dr. Angela Crutchfield, what kind of influence do you wanna be? Let me just say you are, you are, I love it. Dr. Simon, you control no one, you influence everyone. What kind of influence do you wanna be? Yeah, um, so you know, thinking about the, the role that I'm in with the city, um, I think allowing diverse persons to recognize that uh, talking about mental health, um, thinking about mental health, even being curious about it um, is okay um, and I see it when I you know go to community centers and they're like oh and I talk Creole with them um, so yeah so who I am that's who I want to be that's great folks thank you so much for discussion we can do this as a community